everybody. Welcome to Props and Hops, powered by Dimers.com. I'm Matt Landis, and in this episode, we'll work through the NFL Week 16 board through the lens of the best football gambling podcasts, plus some original analysis. We'll also talk some beer and break down some bets, so to kick it off, let's dive into what we're hearing. Loud noises! I've listened to the most prominent handicappers on the best NFL betting podcasts this week, or more accurately, the first two-plus days of this week as I record this on Wednesday, and this episode features insights from seven bettors on six podcasts that total about six hours worth of listening. I'll distill that down to about half an hour of the most actionable takeaways, including seven bets across the point spread, total, teaser, and prop markets. This hasn't been the typical week. The deep dive, dream preview, and sharp angles week 16 previews still haven't hit my podcast feed, but but I have had a chance to uncover and synthesize some good information, so let's get to it and run through the Week 16 board. First game on the board, Christmas Day, Minnesota at New Orleans. Saints laying seven with some extra vig, total 51 and a half, and we had one like on the under, Drew Dinsick on the Matchbook podcast. I'll note Drew got this at 52, so consider a slightly reduced amount if you're looking to go under a lower number than that. And when the Saints are on defense, Drew likes their ability to generate pressure on Kirk Cousins without blitzing, and it doesn't hurt that Adam Thielen also banged up for the Vikings. On the other side of the ball, Drew notes that Drew Brees was unimpressive in his return last week, and the Saints will be without Michael Thomas once again. Moving on to Saturday, game one of a triple header, Tampa Bay at Detroit, where this one's on the board, we're seeing Bucks minus 9.5 with reduced VIG, total 54. Still some uncertainty about Matthew Stafford's status, but no indications that he's really in too much jeopardy of missing this one. And we had one like on the Lions, Steve Fezzik on the Even Money podcast. Steve notes the Lions had a misleading final score last week when they lost in Tennessee. They were minus three in turnovers, and with a little positive regression, he thinks they have enough firepower to keep it close this weekend against Tampa Bay. Up next, the second game on Saturday, San Francisco at Arizona. Cardinals laying five, total 48 and a half, and with the 49ers finishing the season with their quote-unquote home games in Arizona, my initial thought was there might be an edge with the 49ers in this one, given their familiarity with the venue and a lack of travel. But digging into it a little bit more, the Cardinals were the team that played in Arizona last week, so they're getting back-to-back home games. Meanwhile, the 49ers were in Dallas, and they'll be celebrating Christmas in San Francisco, so from a travel standpoint, it's effectively back-to-back road games for the 49ers. And on that note, we had three likes on the Cardinals, Adam Chernoff on the Simple Handicap, Drew making them his best bet on the Matchbook podcast, and RJ Bell on the Dream Preview. Looking at Adam's handicap, he said there are major quarterback questions for the 49ers. Nick Mullins is out. It's likely going to be CJ Beathard. It might even be Josh Rosen. Not great either way for San Francisco. And Adam also notes at the current number, in his words, the value far from gone with Arizona. Drew seemed to agree with both of Adam's points about the quarterback questions and the value not being gone on Arizona yet. Drew thinks this line's going to close at a touchdown, if not a little higher. And the Dream Preview released a part one earlier today. It was mostly a week 15 post-mortem with RJ and Fezzik, but RJ did touch on this game briefly and implied a strong like on Arizona. I'm liking the Cardinals too at this number. Aside from the consensus from Adam, Drew, and RJ, the Quick Picks algorithm at Dimers.com is showing a nice 4.2% edge when it comes to the Cardinals' odds of covering this spread. And we have another game in the desert with the nightcap on Saturday, Miami at Las Vegas, Dolphins laying three with reduced fig, total 47 and a half. And we had three likes on the over, 
Fezzik, Drew, and Adam. Fezzik's handicap begins by noting the total suppressed in this one because the Dolphins played a clear under team last week in the Patriots, so that game had limited scoring output, but this week it's a different story, the Dolphins taking on a clear over team in the Raiders. Fezzik also notes the Raiders on defense can't stop anyone. Drew echoed this sentiment, and Adam took it one step farther, noting the Raiders currently have seven defensive backs on the COVID or injury list, so the Raiders secondary's been bad, but it's likely going to get even worse before it gets better. And on the other side of the ball, Drew also noted, Marcus Mariota exceeded expectations last week when he stepped in for Derek Carr. There is an off chance Carr goes in this one, but it's looking likely to be Mariota. And Drew also notes the Dolphins have a poor rush defense. Between Mariota's scrambling ability and Josh Jacobs is a really strong running back, the Raiders appear well equipped to take advantage. Moving on to Sunday, Cleveland at the Jets, Browns laying 9.5, total of 47, and we had one lake on the Browns and a 7-point teaser, Fezzik taking them down through the key numbers of 7-3. and three. He notes Baker Mayfield's production was capped by three straight bad weather games in the middle of the season, but in four games since then, Mayfield has the best QBR in the league by a wide margin. Up next, Cincinnati at Houston. There are some questions about the Bengals quarterback situation, but where we are seeing this one, it's lined at Texans minus 7.5 with a total of 46. One like on the Texans is a teaser, this time the standard 6 points, also coming from Fezzik, pairing them with the Bears. I'll also be teasing the Texans, but I'll be pairing them with a different team. More to come on that. Next game on the board, Indianapolis at Pittsburgh, Colts laying one and a half, total 45, three likes on the under, Rob Pizzola, Suma, and Drew making it a matchbook consensus play, also one like on the Steelers, that came from Fezzik. Looking at the under, Rob noted he thinks this game will be a slog fest, I'm not too familiar with that term, but I love the way he used it. He notes that the Steelers' offense appears to be broken, and the Colts are a fraud in his eyes. They've barely eked by against the Texans two out of the last three weeks. Rob notes the Colts' offense has faced a historically easy slate of opposing defenses, and yet they still don't profile as an elite offense. And so even though the Steelers' defense has plenty of injuries, they're still better than a lot of the defenses the Colts have faced recently. And Drew also notes Phillip Rivers lacks what it takes to exploit the holes in a beat-up Steelers' defense. Suma getting in on the handicap, noting he thinks we'll see a pretty limited number of possessions in this game. The Steelers' offense is reliant on a short passing game, and the Colts' defense plays a zone scheme designed to limit big plays. And on the other side of the ball, the Colts' offensive line not blocking well. They're not rushing the ball well. So while we should see some efficiency out of these offenses, we'll likely see a lot of long drives that eat up a lot of clock, but don't necessarily result in a lot of points. On the Steelers' side of things, Fezzik getting in play on them because even though he sees an adjustment from the look-ahead line is being warranted after the Steelers' pretty surprising outright loss to the Bengals on Monday Night Football, he thinks this number's an overreaction to that look-ahead line of Steelers minus three. And one more note I'll add here, following up on Rob's point about viewing the Colts as a fraud, they did benefit from some very positive variants last week. The Colts went 3-for-4 in the red zone compared to the Texans 1-for-4, and the Colts also went plus-2 in turnovers, including yet another Houston fumble near the goal line to clinch the game. That's the second time that's happened in three weeks with a Colts-Texans game. And red zone production and turnovers are critically important to the outcome of any one game, but they're not necessarily predictive metrics moving forward, so I think the Colts could be due for some negative regression sooner rather than later. 
Up next, Chicago at Jacksonville. Bears laying 7.5, total 48. One like on the Jaguars, that came from Adam. One like on the Bears as a teaser candidate, that was Fezzik. And I'll paraphrase Adam's handicap on Jacksonville since it follows up on a point I made last week, basically involving a must-win game for one team against another team that's out of contention. And as a refresher on that narrative, if a team must win to stay alive this late in the season, then it must not be very good. And on the other side, if a team's out of contention, the players and coaches are still fighting for their jobs. There's an added element in this game with the tanking narrative around the Jaguars, since the Jets won last week and that leaves the Jags in position for the number one draft pick and presumably Trevor Lawrence. But to that, I'd say, see above the long-term interest for a team not the priority for the coaches and players on the field if tanking would cost them their jobs and looking at Chicago as a teaser candidate, Fezzik's pairing them with Houston. He noted Mitch Trubisky ran eight times last week. Before then, his season high was only four rush attempts, so that dual threat ability for Trubisky, a big factor propelling the Bears' offense in the right direction. And we don't have any action on the next two games, the Giants at the Ravens or the Falcons at the Chiefs. There's some uncertainty around Daniel Jones' status, but where the Giants-Ravens game's on the board, it's lined at Ravens minus 11 with a total of 45. Meanwhile, the Chiefs laying 10.5 over the Falcons, total of 54. And without any bets at these numbers, time to move on to the late window, Denver at the Chargers. Chargers laying a field goal with extra vig or 3.5 with reduced vig, total 48.5. One like on the Chargers, that came from Suma in his Matchbook Insights write-up, and one like on the Broncos, that came from TA, and I pulled that from his Twitter post. I'm recording this before the Sharp Angles podcast is available, but TA's Twitter posts usually align strongly with what he mentions on the podcast. Not much of a handicap available from TA on the Broncos, but as far as the Chargers are concerned, Suma noted the Broncos' secondary is decimated. Last week they had to use a practice squad player and a Converted safety to fill in the gaps at cornerback. That presents a major mismatch that favors the Chargers' passing game. And on the other side of the ball, Suma notes Drew Locke among the worst quarterbacks in the league. So whichever team's in possession, it should be advantage Chargers. Suma also expects positive injury updates for the Chargers along the offensive line and at wide receiver. So he thinks this line trends toward four as kickoff approaches. And I don't have a bet on this game, but I'm going to reveal my Chargers fandom for a moment. We're seeing a worst-case scenario unfold for the Chargers' hopes of winning a Super Bowl anytime soon, now that there's a clear path emerging for owner Dean Spanos to retain head coach Anthony Lynn for another season. This week, if the Chargers win their third straight game, and the Chiefs clinch the one seed with a win, and then next week the Chiefs rest their starters hosting the Chargers, allowing the Chargers to end the season on a four-game win streak... That sets things up pretty well for Lynn's future with the team. And draft position aside, this meaningless late-season surge for the Chargers could give Spanos the crutch he needs to justify retaining Lynn. I know this takes the equivalent of a three-team parlay over the next two weeks, plus an unconscionable decision by Spanos, but Spanos has a proven track record of unconscionable decisions. We're reaching the point where it wouldn't be surprising to see Spanos retain Lynn without the Chargers ending the season on a win streak. And Lynn's lucky enough to still be around at this point, let alone to have a very real shot at sticking around beyond 2020. And the stakes couldn't be much higher. Justin Herbert's on a rookie deal. That gives the Chargers a precious four-year window to compete for championships without much cap space allocated to their dynamic young quarterback. They're in a position to load up on talent across the rest of the roster and build a superb surrounding cast around Herbert. But it's also going to take a competent coach to capitalize on this opportunity. And Anthony Lynn is clearly not that guy. And one last thing here, I know there's the notion that you're not a real fan if you're not rooting for your team every Sunday, but my counter to that would be, the path to the top isn't always linear. It's okay and sometimes necessary to compromise the short term in the interest of the long term. 
So for real Chargers fans, I think it's fair to realize the players and coaches on the field will be competing like crazy down the stretch, but you're still well within your rights to root for some losses and ultimately a change at head coach. But in a very on-brand conclusion to 2020, it's starting to look more and more like that won't be in the cards anytime soon. Alright, getting back to our regularly scheduled programming, next game on the board, Carolina at Washington. There's some uncertainty about Washington's quarterback situation, where this line's available, we're seeing Washington minus 2 with a total of 44.5, and the first thing that jumps out to me about this matchup, the Panthers coming off a lot of negative variance last week in Green Bay. Carolina went 1-for-5 in the red zone compared to the Packers going 3-for-3. The Panthers also lost the turnover battle. And once again, these are meaningful but not predictive metrics moving forward, so I'm looking for positive regression to come the Panthers' way. Next game on the board, the Rams at Seattle. We're seeing some Seahawks minus 1.5 hanging on out there. Also some Seahawks minus 1, total 47.5. And And we have one like on the Rams against the spread. That came from TA. He posted this at plus 2, so consider a reduced amount at the current number. Also three likes on the Rams on the money line. Adam, Rob, and Drew. Note that those all came when it was available at plus money, so consider a reduced amount now that the money line's closer to even money. Also one like on the over, that came from Drew. Looking at the Rams' money line side of things, Adam said that last week's loss to the Jets raises some eyebrows, but the Seahawks have been facing some poor opposition lately, and they've also been largely underwhelming for their own part. Adam thinks this line continues to move toward Pickham, and the money line continues to shrink, and to that I'll add, if he's right about the line movement, be sure to tease the Rams while you still can. Rob's breakdown on the Rams' money line, he's fading Seattle because Pete Carroll's gone back to being way too run-heavy since the Seahawks' Week 9 loss in Buffalo. Rob notes the Rams have the second-best rush defense in the league based on EPA per play, and this could make the Seahawks over-reliant on Russell Wilson on a lot of third-and-long situations. Rob likes the Rams' cornerbacks to make some stops when those moments arise. On the other side of the ball, Rob notes Jared Goff struggles under pressure. We saw it again last week, but he doesn't like the Seahawks' ability to generate pressure, and Rob also sees this as a coaching mismatch, preferring Sean McVay over Pete Carroll. Looking at the over, Drew said the Seahawks have had an easy ride defensively lately against poor opposing offenses, so the Rams' offense represents a step-up in class and Sean McVay's scheme optimal against the Seahawks' base defense. On the other side of the ball, Drew notes the Seahawks have the best quarterback and wide receiver in this matchup. He expects them to be able to go score for score with the Rams. And Drew also notes that in Week 10, this line closed 55 in the Seahawks-Rams game in LA. That game wasn't so long ago, so we're seeing a major adjustment of more than a touchdown, and Drew thinks that's giving too much credit to the Seahawks' defense. Drew also notes in that first matchup, the Seahawks lost offensive lineman Mike Iupati in the middle of the game. He expects the Seahawks' offensive line to be less disrupted over the course of this game, and that could be less pressure the Rams get on Russell Wilson this Sunday. One note I'll add to this game, the Rams, another team that suffered from negative variance last week, they went 2-for-12 on 3rd and 4th downs and lost the turnover battle. Again, 3rd and 4th downs and turnovers, very important in any given game, but not predictive metrics. And I think there's a lot more signal when looking at something like the Rams having outgained the Jets by almost a full yard per play. It was still a poor showing by the Rams regardless, but not as bad as the outright loss to the Jets might suggest. Up next, Philadelphia at Dallas, Eagles laying 2.5, total 49.5. Two likes on the Eagles, Suma and Rob both making Philadelphia their best bet on the Matchbook podcast. Also two likes on the over, those came from Rob and Drew. Looking at the Eagles' side, Suma said the Eagles are the better team and their offense is getting a massive boost with Jalen Hurts over Carson Wentz at quarterback. That applies both passing and rushing. Rob notes that Hurts avoiding the negative plays that plagued the offense under Wentz. And Suma and Rob both agreed the skill position is getting healthier, making 
making Hertz all the more effective early on in his career. Another point Zuma brings up, it's a step up in class for the Cowboys' defense. They faced some weak opposition recently, and they were gashed by better opponents before that. Zuma thinks the Cowboys will have a hard time stopping the Eagles on the ground, and he also notes the Cowboys' back sevens banged up. That could also present an edge for the Eagles' passing game. Rob touched on that point as well. And on the other side of the ball, Suma notes the Eagles' secondary. It's beat up, but Darius Slay is coming back. And up front, the Eagles have a good defensive line. Meanwhile, the Cowboys are playing three backup offensive linemen, so Suma could foresee a lot of pressure on Andy Dalton, and that would dilute the Cowboys' pass game advantage, looking at their wide receivers against that banged-up Eagles secondary. This was another point Rob agreed with, but Drew countered in making his case for the over. He noted that while the Cowboys are down to three backup offensive linemen, they've been protecting Dalton pretty well recently against some decent pass rushes including the 49ers last week and the Ravens in Week 13. So Drew thinks people need to give more credit to offensive line coach Joe Philbin for getting solid play out of the backups on the Cowboys' offensive line. One more point from Rob on the Eagles' side of things. He likes this as an angle to fade the Cowboys. They've scored 71 points the last two weeks, but Rob notes that's thanks in large part to unsustainable turnover luck, and this game, once again, a big step up in class. One more angle on the Eagles side, Suma and Rob also said they like the Philadelphia team total over. I'm currently seeing that at 27. Looking at the over, Rob said he makes the total 51, so it's a little too low in his eyes. He thinks that Jalen Hurts might not be as good as what we saw last week, but Mike Nolan shouldn't be the first defensive coordinator to figure him out. Drew echoed that point. He makes this total 53. And we also had a futures bet thrown out for this game, Suma, on the Eagles to win the NFC East at plus 600. And usually futures hold too much of a house edge to present much value, but Suma walked through the Eagles' path to the division championship. It's going to take three things. An Eagles win this week in Dallas, a Carolina win this week in Washington, and then another Eagles win next week against Washington. So typically the way to get in play on this would be to play a mechanical parlay, and what that means in this case is playing the Eagles on the money line this week against Dallas, parlayed with Carolina on the money line against Washington, and then if that hits, roll the winnings over to the Eagles on the money line next week against Washington. Generally, that mechanical parlay would give a bigger payout than the futures prices being offered, but Suma said that's not the case here. Even if you did that mechanical parlay, it wouldn't hold up against the plus 600 price being offered right now on Philadelphia to capture the NFC East crown. Moving on to Sunday Night Football, Tennessee at Green Bay, Packers laying 3.5 with reduced VIG, total 56, and you can guess which props going in pocket with a total this high, more on that later. For right now, we'll get into three likes on the over, TA, Zuma, and Rob. I'll note quickly that two of these likes came at 55.5, so if you're looking to play the over at a number above that, consider a reduced amount. Looking at Suma's handicap on the over, he notes Green Bay is going to have major edges against the Tennessee defense, and Rob agreed with that point, adding the Packers offense struggled last week against the Panthers pass rush, but it's one that the Titans won't be able to replicate. On the other side of the ball, Suma noted the Titans offense should still be able to go toe-to-toe with the Packers because the Packers only have one good cornerback, that being Jair Alexander, so they'll have to pick their poison when it comes to containing A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, and Jonu Smith in the passing game, and Suma also noted the Titans can balance out that passing attack with a strong ground game led by Derrick Henry. Suma also notes the forecast is improving. It's looking like wind's going to be less of a factor on Sunday night at Lambeau Field, so he thinks this number should be at least 57 with two elite offenses that'll have matchup edges all over the field. 
And wrapping up the Week 16 slate, Monday Night Football, Buffalo at New England, Bills laying a touchdown, total of 46, one like on the Bills, that came from Drew, and he broke down this handicap on the Covering the Spread podcast. I tried to catch content this week from the stalwarts of this show wherever possible, with this being an irregular week for podcast scheduling, and Drew said when he looks at this game, he thinks Josh Allen's taken a very meaningful step forward this season, and he'll be playing against the Patriots defense without Stephon Gilmore, so he thinks the Bills gonna be able to build a big margin in this one. Alright, that does it for the Week 16 slate. We'll break down some bets shortly, but first it's time for a beer break. Let's check out what we're drinking. And this week we're going with the godfather of Hazy IPA, also known as the New England or New England style IPA because of this one, Hetty Topper Double IPA by The Alchemist in Stowe, Vermont. Hetty Topper clocks in at 8% ABV, and when it comes to the appearance, The Alchemist actually advises drinking from the can. They say it's to preserve hop aromas, but I can't help but wonder if that's actually of their way to try to conceal the appearance. When they first started making Hetty Topper, the industry considered any lack of clarity as a flaw in an IPA, and this one definitely not clear, but it was ahead of its time. If you go ahead and break the rules and pour it into a glass, you'll see a hazy golden orange liquid with a fluffy white head, and that's exactly the look hazy IPA fans have come to love. Hetty Topper also comes in a can with iconic silver and black art. I'll post a photo on Instagram, at Props and Hops. And getting into the aroma and flavor, citrusy, tropical, and resinous, with a nice bitterness kicking in as it warms. There's outstanding balance and complexity to this beer, especially with it being so hop-forward. And on the mouthfeel, even more balance, moderate body, moderate carbonation. It's impressive how easily Hetty Topper goes down. And overall, it's a great beer. I also have the great fortune of sharing a can of it with Mike Roselli, host of the Doggy Juice podcast, also on the Dimers Podcast Network. And the Doggy Juice Pod's a great weekly listen if you're not already subscribed. Mike breaks down all things sports betting with an expertise on the legalization side of things, and you can find his podcast and weekly write-up on Dimers.com. So it was a blast to drink such a great beer and such great company with Mike and his fiance during the final leg of their West Coast road trip last weekend, and I'm looking forward to many shared experiences in the future with Mr. and Mrs. Juice. Tying a bow around Hetty Topper, it's a trailblazer that stood the test of time. And speaking of trailblazers, let's blaze the trail to a strong Week 16 portfolio. Time to move on to what we're betting. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. One side in the portfolio this week, that would be the Cardinals minus five against the 49ers. A lot of quarterback and travel questions for San Francisco. Two totals in pocket this week. First up, Miami, Las Vegas, over 47 and a half. The Raiders secondary not stopping anybody. An injury and health concerns only seem to be getting worse. On the other side of the ball, the Raiders seem well equipped to exploit the Dolphins' weakness, stopping the run. And the second total in pocket this week, Colts Steelers under 45. The Steelers' offense seems to be broken. And on the other side, even with the Steelers' defensive injuries, this marks a big step up in class for the Colts' offense, so that could be a slogfest to resurface Rob Pizzola's phrase for this game. Also looking at three teasers this week, this is the last full teaser board of the season. Week 17 usually presents way too much variance to get too heavy with teasers, and we're going to see some shorter slates in the playoffs. And while the last two weeks haven't worked out very well for teasing, it has been a banner teasing season overall, looking to get back on track with some promising teaser numbers on this board. First up, Texans minus 1.5 hosting the Bengals, paired with the Rams plus 7.5 at Seattle. In the first leg, the Texans, the superior team at home needing to do little 
little more than win outright. And on the Rams side of things, they have a favorable schematic matchup against the Seahawks defense. I'm also expecting positive regression when it comes to turnovers and high leverage downs for the Rams. And one more note on the Rams front, that line seems to be headed toward Pickham, so tease them while it's still available to cross up through seven. Next teaser going to pocket this week, Steelers plus 7.5 hosting the Colts, paired with the Panthers plus 8 at Washington. On the Steelers' side of things, we have a low total in this game. There's also a lot of love for the under. That indicates less variance, and that increases the relative value we get in taking them up through 3-7. and seven. Also, the Colts due for some negative regression sooner rather than later. On the Panthers' side of things, the Washington quarterback situation is a mess, and regardless of how that plays out this week, Washington lacks blowout potential. We could also see another case here of a low total, increasing the relative value of each point, taking the underdog up through a touchdown. Also playing one seven-point teaser this week, I make it good up to minus 140, and that would be the Bucks taking them down to minus 2.5 at the Lions, pairing them with the Browns, also taking them down to minus 2.5 at the Jets. And both teams will likely close as double-digit favorites at some books. And this gives us the opportunity to put the numbers to work and cross down through those key numbers of 7 and 3, asking the superior teams to do little more than win outright. And one prop in play this week, regular listeners will see it coming, Titans-Packers, shortest touchdown under 1.5 yards. I make this good all the way up to minus 185. First off, this game has a sky-high total in the mid-50s, and we're still seeing some love for the over. More points, good for more touchdowns, and more touchdowns, good for the odds of more one-yard touchdowns. And aside from that weekly math reminder, the matchup here looks golden. The Packers are becoming the official team of this prop down the stretch this season. Aaron Rodgers threw another one-yard touchdown pass last week. That was his eighth of the season. And the ground game for the Packers, also always a threat from the one, especially against the poorest Titans defense. On the other side of the ball, the Titans have proven to be a powerhouse at the goal line in their own right, and the Packers defense, not a unit known to put up much resistance. So a rapid fire recap, one side, the Cardinals minus five, two totals, Dolphins Raiders over 47 and a half, and Colts Steelers under 45, three teasers, Texans minus one and a half paired with the Rams plus seven and a half, then the Steelers plus 7.5 paired with the Panthers plus 8. And lastly, a 7-point teaser, the Bucks minus 2.5 paired with the Browns minus 2.5. Also one prop, Titans-Packers, shortest touchdown under 1.5 yards. Alright, last but not least, the Malinsky Minute. And this week, I don't have a quote to share. Instead, I thought it would be appropriate to share a story involving Christmas time and the overlapping worlds of betting and craft beer, looking at 2017 versus 2020. So in 2017, I was back east just about this time of the year visiting my in-laws, and I made the trip to Other Half Brewing Company in Brooklyn, hoping to get some cans to take home, including some to send to Dave. And... I arrived at Other Half minutes after they'd opened. It was the day I landed from a cross-country flight, and Other Half had just sold out of cans. This put me on tilt. I broke the bad news to Dave via text message, and his response to me, you're dealing with an awfully sharp crowd. This was obviously something he knew a thing or two about as a professional better, and that response has stuck with me over the years, both in terms of beer and in betting. Skip ahead to 2020, and I have a friend that lives in Brooklyn. He recently sent me a link to Other Half's to-go menu asking what I wanted, and this menu had nearly 50 beers to choose from, including IPAs, stouts, sours, many of these beers being world-class, and I have Other Half cans en route to my house as I record this podcast. Dave would have been thrilled with this development just about three years to the day after I got shut out on cans at Other Half. Part of that would have been selfish on Dave's part. He knows I would have shared some with him, and I also think part of his satisfaction with this development would 
be the thought that we might as well take any silver linings we can get from the pandemic. Distribution laws have been relaxed to help keep breweries afloat, and to see the explosion in to-go and shipping offerings from places as renowned as Other Half is a real treat. And I also want to note that in addition to New York, Other Half ships beer to a handful of states in the Northeast. So if you're in the area and you can take advantage, the best bet of the week would be to do so. You're not going to regret it. And to tie this together, I used to mail Dave Other Half cans whenever I could get my hands on them. So for now, we can all raise a can or a glass in his honor this holiday season. Alright, that'll do it for this episode of Props and Hops. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding any value in this show, please share it with a friend who could benefit as well. For now, let's get out there and enjoy Week 16 in the NFL. And if you're listening on Wednesday, happy Festivus. I hope you've received your payment from the Human Fund. There are few things better than money for people. Of course, this being 2020, there's plenty of airing of grievances to go around. But let's try to keep that in check and get out there the rest of this week. Have a safe and Merry Christmas. As a quick programming note, I'll be back early next week with another Wednesday episode before the new year. And until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. Hey!